Okay, welcome into the Degress Podcast, episode 17, Ryan Tannehill edition, breaking down all sorts of things going on. It was a great national title. Kansas came away with a 72-69 victory to win their fourth uh, national title in program history. Uh, It was a great game. It was back and forth. Carolina, they did get off to a little bit of a slow start, but they kind of settled in and ended up going up by 15. Kansas just couldn't hit a shot, I think. They, Kansas mostly played that first half at Carolina pace. It was a little bit of a slower pace. Kansas was kind of walking the ball up the court for most of that first half, it felt like. And then at halftime, they just flipped a switch. They just started running. They used Carolina's lack of depth against them. I think Baycott ended up getting tired. Did a Kansas did a great job defensively limiting the Carolina to 31% shooting, uh, forcing Caleb Love, who's been just doesn't seem to be able to miss all tournament the five of 21 shooting and just Remy Martin huge off the bench it was a stepped up he was very up and down tournament he only had five in the semifinals against uh, Villanova but hit some big shots it seemed like any uh, at the end that's who they were going through and then McCormick was able to get a big shot at the end to feed it uh, get a win it was a great title game it was a great year for Kansas and Another some other stuff. Masters going on. Tiger is back. Uh, MLB season starts today. We're recording this on the sixth of April, but we'll be dropped. It's going to be uh, released this is uh, April seventh in the morning. So we're talking a little bit of a day ahead. So when you're here listening to this, it'll be uh, opening day for the MLB season. The NBA playoffs a little bit are approaching, and we got the NFL draft. Uh, only about three weeks away. So to help break it down, Grant Caster is back again. Grant, what were your thoughts on the national title game? You know, it was uh, it was a great game. It was a game that college basketball, I think, needed because the first year back in front of the fans, um, they were able to showcase the pageantry. That is the final four. When you put a basketball court in a football arena, you're able to get two blue bloods with fan bases that are going to travel like no other to fill it up 70,000 people and again just kind of show why <coughs> excuse me in my opinion um, March Madness is the best all-around event in sports because you're you had the last, last two games of the season were just incredible and you know Kansas you know the better team won I think you're they they came out in those first five minutes you know they came out with an attitude and Carolina took that first punch they were up they got on the canvas but they came back up and as we've seen this last month, month of March, you know, Carolina, they're a special team and they're not going to go away from anybody, but uh, Kansas, they kind of regrouped at halftime. And like, like you said, I think Carolina's lack of depth really came back to haunt them because when you look at some of the numbers for Carolina starters, Andrew Baycott, he had 38 minutes in this game, Caleb Love, 36 minutes, Brady Manick played 36 minutes after he got hit in the head two or three times. RJ Davis played 40 minutes. Yep. And I think your point when Caleb Love shoots one of eight from the three in that game and RJ Davis is 0 of five, at some point your legs are going to catch up to you and you're going to miss those three point shots that Carolina was hitting all tournament that made them this awesome, nice little Cinderella run. And you compare that, like you said, Dylan, Remy Martin, 20, 21 min, min, good minutes on the Kansas bench. His legs were fresh. Um, McCormick, he played 29 minutes. His his legs were fresh. Um, and then, you know, I think in the can- second half, Kansas, they finally attacked the basket. 
they, they were settling too much for jump shots. I think they were feeling a little confident after playing Villanova, hitting all those threes, and they thought they could do it again. And they said, you know what? Baycott's got a bad right ankle. Uh, Maddox's not athletic as us, so we're going to attack. We're going to attack the basket and try to get some easy points. And they really wrapped it up, um, hunkered down defensively. You know, Abaji, he only had 12 points in the title game, but he really shut Caleb Love down. He was he was huge. He had a huge and one that and one that I, I can't remember if it tied it or they went up and he didn't. I mean, he was at the, I think for at that point he was like two of seven from the free throw line. He hits that. They go three three and or three of eight. But I mean, he had timely buckets. And mm-hmm. another guy too for Kansas, uh, Christian Braun, Nick Kansas native, grew up a Jayhawk fan probably dreamed counting down hitting the game winning shot for the Jayhawks to win him a national title. Great story. He, he had 12 and 12. He played tr- uh, phenomenal defense and it, it was almost like a tale of the, the, the scripts just flipped where Kansas mm-hmm. relied a little bit more on that outside game in the first half. And then Carolina, they, they just couldn't seem to get that pace to slow down in the second half where like you said, and, and the Baycott injury, um, he was still playing there. He played his guts out. He feel for the kid to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. And he, um, it was, you, you had to think though, that his bum ankle factored into his inability on the defensive end. And he still ended up with a double, double, but that ankle definitely hindered his ability. I think he missed, he missed a, well, he was three of 13 from the field, like you said, and, he missed a lot of bunnies that normally go in when he'd be healthy. And, and even, even in the first half, you know, in the first five minutes of the game, when Kansas um, looked like they were going to have that game under control, you know, Baycott goes up with two hands and McCormick blocked him. Yep. At his ankle, I think been at full strength and he's able to jump and get all his explosiveness out of that six ten body. He's either dunking over McCormick or he's getting fouled and he's going to the charity stripe. So you're absolutely right. I think that ankle was just a bit much for him. Um, but, you know, he get, he get, he gave it all. And I think Carolina fans are going to sit back and this is going to be a title where they say, what could have been, um, you know, if we had a, if we had a healthy Baycott and then if they just, you know, let's not forget Puff Johnson, huge yeah. off the bat, nine points in the second half, took a big charge, 11 points on the game. If they could have just had another bench player, you know, come in and deliver a little bit that could have changed the game. But then also, you know, Caleb Love, when you shoot one of eight from the three and five of 24 from the field, maybe give some of those shots to, uh, to Manic or RJ Davis, because Brady Manic shot four of eight from the field and three of six from three. So if Caleb Love would have maybe given the ball up a little bit more, maybe Manic could have continued to get hot. And with how close this game was, that could have been the difference, you know, four points, another three and another layup that Manic has. And guess what? Carolina, they're your national champions. Yeah. And, and Lubs three at the end, I, I was watching it and I was standing up like thinking it was going to be good. And <laughs> it it's, it's a game of what ifs you have to think. Cause it looked like Manic was going to be open off that screen, but if he fell down and it forced love to shoot it, cause Manic wasn't there. And <laughs> I just by watching it, it looked like he was going to come off that screen and have a good look. And Manic doesn't need a lot of space. Like if he, I mean, from me to my computer screen away, he he can hit that, and he's hitting it all year. And I think this has a, been a almost symbolic of Carolina's season 
the talent has always been there. It's just they can they just don't decide not to show up at times. And I think maybe playing in a game like this, game of this magnitude, realizing if we do this every game for 40 minutes, we there's no reason why they can't be national title champions. I don't know recruiting class wise what they have coming in. I would guess it's going to be pretty solid. Uh, I would Caleb Love is probably gone. Maddox gone. I don't know if Baycott's a senior, but so Bay, Baycott's a junior. He's okay. a true junior. He's a true junior. So they could have a nice little squad to come back because Baycott could come back, R.J. Davis could come back, and Leaky Black could possibly use his um, that COVID year okay. to come back for a fifth season. So to your point, you know, Maddox's gone no matter what because he's a you know graduate transfer. But what's interesting is is with Caleb Love because if Caleb Love comes comes back and they have those four, they could be a top five team and a national title team again next year because. You know, if they were able to get Brady Manick this year off the transfer portal in Hubert Davis's first season, you'd think he'd be able to swing in and get it to someone else to come in just like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what these guys want to do. Um, you know, they could they could lose four of these five starters and they could be a terrible team next year. They could get five of these four back. And with Puff Johnson coming off the bench, yep. you can get someone else in the transfer portal. Watch out. Yeah, well, and the other thing with Puff Johnson, to your point, you have to think that him playing as well as he did in the national title, and then he's puking, like, I think that's going to motivate him to make sure he's ready at all times. Uh, I if, if I had to bet money, I would say Caleb Love is gone because he did declare last year, and he, his, I mean, he's a great perimeter player. He, he could make a lot of money. He's a solid ball handler. I think he could be a has all the makings of being a good pro. So I, I would guess he's gone, but Carolina always seems to have an abundance of talent at the point guard and post position. So that, that that's one program I don't worry about of uh, replacing those guys. Cause they just, whether you look at uh, when Raymond Felton was there, Ty Lawson coming in and then Kendall Marshall after that. And then after that, Marcus page, and Joel Barry, they just seem to always just funnel guys through a, uh, well, you know, Colby, you know, guy, Colby White, and then yep. um, um, Cole, Anthony. Yep. Anthony, you know, and then you know R.J. Davis and then Caleb Lung, Caleb Love as you know sophomores this year. Yeah, it's it's a top five school. It's a blue blood. They're going to be fine. And then also this tournament was big for Hubert Davis. Oh yeah, because he showed not only everyone in America. Um, he showed high school players. He showed fellow college players. He showed parents with young kids at the AAU level. Hey, I love my players and I love this program. You come to play for me and it's going to be authentic. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you succeed. So he, he put on a great show in some uncertain times in the ACC. You now Louisville's got a new head coach. Virginia is not what they used to be. Ken Shire be the guy now that coach k is gone and duke we don't know we know the talent's going to be there yep. but you got the talent doesn't mean you're going to win a lot of games i mean there's a lot of college football coaches who get fired every year because they have a top 10 class but they can't coach so carolina could be right where they need to be in the acc like i said with some uncertain times coach k retiring and then the show they put on in this tournament this year yeah absolutely and and let's switch gears over to kansas uh They've got 
plenty to replace for sure. Uh, Abachi's gone. McCormick, I would, I think, was also a senior. Both those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are both, and they are both experienced teams. But Kansas, you know, they're they probably have a good recruiting class, but there is some speculation they might not be able to <laughs> to uh, be competing in the tournament because they are have some level one saint like four or five level one sanctions. I think that's actually what Mark Emmert was saying when he was handing Bill Self the trophy was enjoy this one. Cause you're not getting it next year. Well, and also Mark Emmert goes to the Kansas city Jayhawks. And it's like, um, no, they're in Lawrence, Kansas park. You should know this. You're the president of NCAA. Um, I, th- I thought that was kind of funny. Well, Hey, I'm surprised you don't have like a, you didn't print off a little uh, Jayhawk logo underneath your Kansas city Chiefs sweatshirt and just tape it. For our, our YouTube, uh, or for people who are listening to the podcast and can't see the video version, which is on YouTube, so make sure you go subscribe to that. Just get a little plug in there. But Grant does have—he's uh, rocking his Chiefs, his Chiefs uh, camo hoodie, and uh, the Kansas City J. Which Lawrence isn't too far from Kansas City. It's about thirty miles or so. No, it's it's a lot closer. I mean, you know, the Jayhawk, the University of Kansas, is a lot closer than University of Missouri. Um, you know, it's just by those state lines, um, you know, people associate the Tigers more with the Chiefs. But, um, you know, for me, um, I think Kansas, they're going to be just fine until the NCAA comes out and says, hey, you're not allowed to participate in a tournament next year. Or Bill Self, you're going to be suspended for eight games for, you know, the wiretap that they got him for the recruiting violations and everything like that. They're going to be just fine because it is Kansas. They're a blue blood. They're going to put more people in the NBA. And um, especially some of these graduate transfers, I think they're going to make their money in the uh, the transfer portal, you know, this upcoming year. Cause like you said, you get a guy like Remy Martin, you know, if you're a, you know, conference player of the year at a smaller school, like that young kid out of Wake Forest this year, you know, why wouldn't you want to stay in the, in the power five and then go to Kansas yeah, and, and play for self. And then also play in a, a system where you're going to go fast on offense. You're going to be able to, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like an NBA offense. You're going to go fast. There's a lot of motions. Um, you know, you're, they surround themselves with perimeter guys, only one big man, you know, you're going to, if you have a shot, Bill's going to let you take it. So I, I think they will be just fine. Um, but we'll see, you know, the NCAA could come in and say, no, you know, you guys violated some serious rules and uh, you know, we can't do this. And they could pay the, they could pay the price for that. And who knows, this championship could be like the Louisville one in 2013 where it's stripped out of the record books. But, you know, for me, that doesn't mean a whole lot because, uh, you know, they played a game and they were the better team and they won that title. So we'll, uh, we'll just wait and see. Yeah. And, and another Testament too, is we, we need to talk a little bit more about Remy Martin, who was graduate transfer from Arizona state goes from averaging about 35 minutes or yeah, about 33 minutes a game his last uh, three years using that COVID year and goes from, let's see what his points were. He goes from averaging 19 his last two years at Arizona state to going to 20 minutes, 21 minutes to nine points a game. And you're not going to see guys like that, but you, the high character guy who just goes, accepted his role, but, and he sacrificed to go win a national title and it paid off. That that's, you got to commend the guy for that, for accepting a role and 
I'm sure he didn't like it. It was quite an adjustment to him right away, but I think he understood and bought in and that's just a testament to the kids. So hats off Mm -hmm. to him. And he ended up being one of the main reasons why they, why they won the national title. Well, yeah. And you know, when you shoot four or six from three and you know, you end the game with 14 big points, I mean, and they were tough shots too. And they were tough shots. The, the biggest one that sticks out to me was when he caught it in front of the Kansas bench. He's falling right out of bounds. Shot clock running down too. Shot clock's running down. And he puts it up and he, hit, he hits, hits that big three. And it's just like, you know, to win a national title, uh, you, need, you need players like that to step up big off your bench. And also, that's why Bill probably went out and got him from Arizona State. You know, he knew he wasn't going to play as much. He knew he wasn't going to be a star or the starter or the guy. But you know what? When your starters are having a bad night, when, you know, McCormick, when Abaji, excuse me, is one of four from the three, and he's only got, um, uh, excuse me, how many, how many points do you have? Four, 12 points. 12. Yeah, you, you, need, you need guys like Remy Martin and Braun to step up and attack the basket and get your team, get your team buckets. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, McCormick did his thing 15 and 10. Uh, Abaji got, uh, uh, final four most outstanding player and you could have argued him or McCormick both but I yeah it was it would have been a, I wouldn't have argued it either way so hats off to Kansas excited for next year already and we'll switch gears over to the Masters that starts tomorrow and Grant Tiger's back Tiger is back it was announced Tuesday that he said he's coming back he feels good he's ready to play and I'm excited to watch him. I'm curious to see a lot of P- um, Augusta is, it doesn't really show it on TV much, but they do talk about how it is one of the more hillier courses. There's a lot of hills up and down. I, it, I think golf wise, I think he's going to still be there. I'm curious about his conditioning coming back 14 months after a very almost near fatal car crash. Uh, happy he's back. And I think he right now is at plus 5,000 odds to win it. We, and uh, looking to skip back to the 2019, which is really the last time where it was a normal Masters. Uh, the 2021 was played in November last year. There were still some COVID restrictions. And this year, it's fully back. Watching his practice round Sunday, the following he had, it's incredible. I'm, I'm excited. What, what are your thoughts on Tiger going to be back? Well, again, first off, you know, we're just you, I, you have no words. You're just absolutely pumped and and filled with joy because, you know, Ty, Tiger's bigger than golf. He's he's the he's reason almost, we watch. He's the reason why we watch golf. And he's almost like a God figure where, you know, we, we kind of grew up, you know, watching him and everybody. If they want to go to the golf course, if they're wearing reds or saying, you know, I got my Tiger, you know, my Tiger Sunday look you know, going on. And then if we have a nice putt, we're throwing our putter in the air, we're looking at it, you know, we get that nice fist pump going just because that's what he did. You know, he changed, he changed the game, um, you know, for the better and to see how people react when he won in 2019, it was just, it was fantastic. And then, like you said, for him last year to be in that car accident where they almost consider amputating his leg to come back 14 months later, you know, it's just, it's just a joy. And uh, it's, you know, kind of something we need. And again, another reason, another reason why we love sports, because, you know, one person can bring us all together, even though we might, you know, differ on everything else. 
in the world we're living in. You know, it's tough with the rising prices of gas and rent and groceries. You know, it's it's tough out there. But to have Tiger come and unite unite us all to who knows, hopefully have four good days of golf and then maybe win a tournament. There's nothing more we can ask for. I just I hope to your point, his conditioning is well, because when you listen to some of the guys who played practice rounds with him this week, sure it was only, you know, the front nine or the back nine, but they said the golf wise, it was great. I just hope he can last four days, 72 holes, 7,500 yards a day. I hope his body doesn't slowly catch up to him like it did with Carolina and his legs kind of go. And then, you know, with that, um, you know, maybe some of the shots, they go a little, little, little more haywire just because he doesn't have, you know, his full arsenal with him in terms of, you know, his leg strength and then just getting all that back and the use of his back and his core. Yeah, for sure. And and to go back to the 2019, it was the, the moment of, it was because in 97 when he won his first and he walks off, hugs his dad. And then 2019 when he, he's walking off and his son, Charlie sprints into his arms. Just, it, it was a special moment and it, it, it was one of those last few times where it felt like Americans were all together. They were all didn't matter. Political affiliation didn't matter. Anything, anything that could be controversial. Everybody was rooting for tiger and to get a little bit more context off it was uh, in Marty Smith's book, never settle, which is a great read. I recommend everybody to go check that out at some point. He talked about, he interviewed tiger after the win and he talked about how uh, Tiger, when he was about the moment when Charlie ran up and hugged him, jumped into his arms, it was like, a, you, you don't have words for it. <laughs> and he talked about how like his kids, they always thought golf because it was, it, it, that's what hurt dad. They were very not really sure what they thought about it because they thought every time they'd see him play, it'd always get hurt. And that was the first time where they were all able to celebrate his, uh, their accomplishments and their family together for the first time was, so I thought that was a pretty cool story mm-hmm. and just a special moment. And so it, it was cool for us, but I can't imagine what it was for his family. And it, it, and it worked out perfectly that Saturday, that Sunday, because they pushed everything up because of the weather. If you remember. So like I woke up at eight, eight thirty nine and, kind of looking through Twitter and see, Oh, Tiger's starting. And then I'm watching and it's like, Oh, he's one stroke off. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's tied. Oh my God. He's in the lead. And just the roar of the crowd. And you could just feel that energy off the TV. And Jim Nance did a phenomenal job calling it as well, where after he won, it, he, there was silence from him, just letting that moment sink in from the crowd the Charlie Tiger hug, hugging his daughter, his mom. It, yeah, I, I'll let you talk. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, to your point, that's some of the best announcing jobs out there is when on these big moments, when announcers, when they just go quiet. And, uh, you know, Joe Buck's book, he wrote in 2016, you know, Lucky Bastard, he talked about some of his best um, announcing moments of his career. And the, the one that pops up right away was two, the 2001 World Series. Uh, first game in New York after the attack on the World Trade Center. 
And that was when, um, you know, President Bush came in and he landed in center field, Air Force One, sprints um, to the mound, throws a strike as a first pitch. Yankee Stadium is going crazy, you know, but after that, he was quiet going into commercial. And then I think, you know, um, the Diamondbacks, they came up in the top half of the first and they went one, two, three. And then after the end of that first half, top of the top of the first, he was quiet and he just let the crowd take over um, Yankee Stadium and just let it kind of let let it all soak in. And, you know, for th- three or four hours that night, you know, these two teams are going to give America some peace and some calm with that. And then also another Joe Buck moment like that was um, the Minneapolis Miracle. Yep. I was just going to say that. catches the ball on the sideline. You know, you see Marcus Williams take his teammate out, and all you hear is, you know, Buck go, digs, sideline, touchdown, Vikings win, and you're just calm. You let let the pandemonium and let the celebration take over. Don't make this moment about you because it's not. No one's going to remember the announcer. So just let, just let, let, you know, let the action on the field of the course you know, be what people remember from that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And just a little bit more on the masters. Uh, there is a local North Dakota Fargo native. Tom Hoagie is going to be there. He tees off at, I can't remember the exact time, but he's uh, excited. He got his first PGA win this year out at Pebble beach. I believe down out in California was able to qualify for the masters. It's a cool local story here. He's I have I have a little bit of wager on him. He's at plus fifteen thousand to win through through a little bit on, so I could get a good payout. But excited to watch. Uh, it's going to be exciting regardless. Hopefully, if Tiger's in it, it's just going to add another level of excitement for the Masters. And we'll switch a little bit gears over to. Oh, also, did you did you get to watch the um, watch the par three contest at all today? I did not. Okay. Did you, so you haven't seen this Tommy Fleetwood uh, shot then? No, no, I haven't. Did he skip something across water? What? Yeah. What he, we- he, he skipped it across water and I'm in a group chat with my dad and my uncle who my uncle is a former golf coach and he coached boys and girls. He's won multiple state championships and he, I, I sent it to him and <laughs> This is what my uncle goes. He goes, it's actually not that hard to do. Just hit the ball with cut spin. So it is like skipping a rock on the water. Top spin will make it dive into the water. However, hitting it a couple feet from the pin is pretty amazing. So really Grant, all we got to do to get it is to uh, get it, get a ball to skip like a rock is we just got to get cut spin on it. Well, that's all we got to do. All the hell we have to do now is figure out what the hell cut spin is. That's a, bunch of that out, it's easy. <laughs> That's a bunch of hogwash because I'm going to tell you right now, when I'm skipping a rock across a lake, I'm lucky if I get two bounces. Right. How, how the hell am I supposed to learn what cut spin is and get a golf ball going across water, you know, 15, 20 times, ta 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 up to the pin. Just get out of here with that nonsense. Right. Well, and that's the part where they're professionals. You know, I get a little excited when I see them, like, just completely duff a shot and – do something that's like, yeah, I do that. And then the next shot, I'll do the same thing because I'm pissed off about it. And then those guys, they'll just, yeah, they'll go five feet from the pin. So it, it but yeah, to your point, when they're in the tee and, you know, they're cranking away, 
and it goes 50 yards to the right and you just hear what the hell it's like this is relatable this is why we this is why this is even the pros do this and this is why we play golf so it, you're right it makes you feel good about yourself and your game for a split second yes and uh we'll switch over to a uh switch gears over mlb season starts uh a lot of questions about not not happening due to a lockout but ml well for some teams twins were supposed to their game got postponed to Friday. So what are your initial thoughts on the baseball season? I'm excited. I'm really excited about the twins this year. I, I, I last year was a season. You just burn every single memory ingrained in it. Cause anything that could have went wrong for the twins, it did. I like some of the steps they've gone in the pitching. We'll see how the season goes. Maybe they'll be able to add a reliever or two, uh, maybe strengthen that starting rotation. Hopefully they can avoid injuries. I think, I, I, I think the talent's there to make the playoffs. And the first step, I don't care if they even lose a playoff. I just want, you know, walk before you run. I want to see them win a playoff game first because I think that's so ingrained in the Twins players' head that we haven't won a game since 2003. And I think they just need that first one to win to get that kind of like, okay, we're not. And I don't think they think that they're cursed, but in a sense that that's all back there in their head where – if they lead or, you know, they just, they just freeze or tense up. I, they just need that one win. And I think after that, it's going to start, they'll develop that confidence and see what happens. Well, and to your point, I was at the twins Yankees game in 2019, you know, the last time the twins, well, they made the playoffs during the COVID year for 2020, but no fans were allowed at target field. So the last playoff game that they allowed fans in was the 2019 series against the Yankees. And it's one of those moments where it's just engraved in the players and us fans' head where we have a, a, a spot in the top of the second. It was still 0-0, I believe. Bases loaded, one out. I'm thinking, let's go. This is the Twins' opportunity. We're that would have blown the doors off target field. Blew the doors off that place. We're going to take it from the Yankees. We're going to win this game. It's going to be a 2-1 series. we got some confidence going. I can't remember who was up to bat. He hits an absolute rope to right field. And I'm thinking, oh, yes, this is going over Judge's head. Let's go. We're not going to clear the bases because it's going to go off the wall, but it'll be 2-0. We'll have runners on second and third. We're going to take this. Grasp the opportunity. You know, the Judge caught, catches this laser because he's 6-7. It's know, the only reason he caught that. The only reason I, caught I remember the exact – I remember that too. And I just remember letting out a loud F you, Aaron Judge. Oh, yeah. And you're sitting back and he's like, he looked like Jordan, the Jordan logo when he caught that because it took all six, seven of him and his probably six, 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 seven wingspan to catch this ball. And then Sano comes up the next, the next batter and he pops up to shortstop. And I remember thinking into my head, this, that's the game right there. If we couldn't get him then, that's the game. We can't get by these guys. It's just something about this organization. But, you know, to your point, I like the Twins roster this year. I like this team. I don't know if they can compete in the Central in terms of winning it because the White Sox are a very good baseball team and they bring everyone back. But they've already started to get a few injuries, though, too. So, and, and the like baseball or, well, for that matter, all sports, it's just a cyclical thing where if you get an abnormal amount of luck one year or the breaks fall your way, create them the next year it's that much harder where something's going to go pear-shaped and Mm -hmm. 
it's I the White Sox they had they have basically everything go right for them. So I think they're gonna come down. They've already had a few injuries, and outside of that, it, there's not a whole lot. I don't think the Royals are very much the no Gar- Guardians. They just signed that shortstop for big money, but you know, and, and they needed that because that city and that organization they were so cheap for the longest time to finally sit back and say, you know what, we're going to keep a franchise cornerstone in Cleveland. You know, they needed that, but their roster besides that still not that good. I think their payroll still right around $40 million. So, you know, the twins, they have it this year. And then also I'm, I'm also intrigued by the two Los Angeles teams are the Dodgers and the angels of Anaheim, the Dodgers, the rich get richer. They signed Freddie Freeman. Um, they really have no excuse not to be in the NLCS again this year with yep. that lineup and that pitching staff. But with the Angels, if you can get a healthy Mike Trout back and a healthy Shohei, can they finally get in the playoffs? Again, th- for the last 10 years, Angels, they've had no pitching and they're going to continue to go down that road. But I th- with with Shohei and Trout, and I believe they still have, is it, I think I still think they have Justin Upton. Yep. Are, they going to outscore enough people and win some games in a down AL West? Yeah, and I, well, because I, the Mariners might be the favorite. I might put them as a as a uh, team that I think you know, might might win the uh, West this year and make get back to the playoffs. Who have the longest playoff drought? I just with the Mariners, it's kind of like like we talked about. I think last week, coaches and teams I can't trust. For, for me, that's the Mariners. I mean, un- until they physically do it, I'm not going to trust them. And I think with Houston losing Correa, that, that's a big loss. That's, you know, that's 25, 30 home runs in a year and, you know, a bunch of RBIs. And I'm, I'm glad the Twins got him because we just – we have our fingers crossed because if him, Buxton, and Polanco can all stay healthy, that's yep. the best baseball, second base, shortstop, center field. And, you know, you throw in Larnett, Kirloff, Sano, Kepler, um, Arise. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, this Twins lineup is ready to win now, and I'm excited. And we have to give credit to the front office because they've finally been willing to spend money. And yeah. I've, I've been vocal about it. It's frustrating where they just have constantly relied on their farm system, which I it, it is important. You can't deny it. But – at the same time, you look at teams like the Dodgers. I know they go out and spend money. They do. But you look at the guy, like the guys that have been there forever that grew up, the Bellingers, the Kershaws. Uh, Kenley Jansen was there forever, and he's down in Atlanta. But they have guys that grew up, and they understand the culture. They have a strong culture there. And even the Yankees, all the years they were winning, you know, they had the Jeter, the Posadas, the Riveras. They had guys that have grew up in the organization and they bought into the culture of what their respective teams were. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're, you're, you're right because they come in as kids and they don't have the mindset like, like the twins who can't win a playoff game or the Royals who are going to sit back and they're like, Oh, it's a once every, you know, 10 year thing. We're going to build a nice little team. We're going to go to two straight World Series. We're going to win one. But then, since we don't care about this team, we don't promote them in Kansas City, guess what? We're going to send them off to go somewhere else because we can't pay them. And 
then they can't play. And the worst example of this in Major League Baseball has got to be the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. How many how many World Series division titles and playoff appearances do they have to go to for that owner to finally fork up some money and say, you know, let's build a brand new stadium here, you know, in St. Pete, Tampa, you know, the city of Brandon, Gibsonton, Riverview, somewhere in that area, because you've had the Buccaneers win a World Series. I mean, uh, Super Bowl, excuse me. Yep. The Tampa Bay Lightning go back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. The Rays were in a World Series two years ago. What's it going to take for these leaders down in Tampa Bay to, to get around this baseball team? And sure, it's Florida. It's nice. It's the summer. There's a lot of other things to do than go to a baseball game. But with the people you have down there, if you can get people outside, maybe get a retractable roof on there or build something like the Dolphins have in Florida where you can keep your fans cool, you're telling me they wouldn't want to go and they wouldn't want to watch that? It just it, it irritates me that the Rays are being so mismanaged with how yeah. good they Yeah, it's very – I'm not a – uh, raise expert, but they're they just seem the owners there they give off vibes of they just want to make enough to turn a profit and they're good mm-hmm. with that. But yeah, it's and I mean, we're not raise fans, but so uh, early preseason actually, we'll we'll wait till we'll do another show later on and discuss our go through who we think's winning each division and world series wild card. We'll do that at a later podcast, uh, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe something next week. So we'll uh, move over to uh, NBA playoffs. The Lakers were gone or were eliminated last night and they made, they signed Russell Westbrook and who could have saw that going wrong? Me. <laughs> I think I, I'm pretty sure I told you and Ethan that in our group chat. Oh yeah. yeah. We all people should listen to us for NBA stuff more than these other idiots. And we are not NBA experts. We're not NBA people any at means. all. It's just we by I think means. we do a good job of understanding culture and understanding mm-hmm. you he, Russell Westbrook as talented he is as he is. He's all about Russell Westbrook. He's not about winning. He cares about triple doubles and triple doubles only. And I, they basically brought him in because the guy, I'm not going to dispute that the guy plays his ball, plays his ass off. Like he, he competes every every night, but at the end of the day, he, he care, he cares more about averaging a triple double than he does winning games. And well, I don't know if you saw Magic Johnson on first take talk about how they wanted to go with the uh, sign DeMar DeRozan and trade for Buddy Heald, but LeBron wanted Russell. And once again, LeBron gets another coach fired, team gets blown up. And there was talk like in February of the Lakers might be best off trading him. And they're not wrong. I, I wouldn't. I, I, think, I think you're right. I, I think the Slakers organization needs a whole just reboot. They almost need to blow this thing up and start over because also what's crazy is two years ago, they bring Anthony Davis in and every single season he's been in, guess what? He's missed a stretch. Of, I want to say 10 to 15 plus games because he's injured. He was like that. New- At some point, these people show who they are and it shouldn't surprise us. 
Well, and uh, then last year after they win the title, he shows up completely out of shape. You didn't get to start the season. He showed up. I hate to play his way into shape and uh, ends up getting hurt while he's doing that. Falls mm-hmm. even farther back. And yeah, so I, I'm curious what's going to happen, who, what the Lakers are going to do, because the, I don't know what the trade value is for Anthony Davis. I don't just kind of what I, I've been. I don't dove in a little bit more, but it seems like there's not a big market for him. So I, I don't know I, who I, they're going to trade for or what they're going to get out, out for it. So, cause LeBron doesn't want to get draft picks. No, he wants players. And to your point, I don't think there is a trade market for Anthony Davis because he's not like Embiid where he can take over the game on an offensive end inside and out. And he's he, like, you said, he can just physically dominate and he's not Jokic where he can have the ball, pull the ball to three point line and get people involved, you know, on a triple, almost triple double, almost as like a seven foot point guard Davis. He has a skill set where he can take over the game from 15 feet and in, but his problem is, is like you said, he's always hurt and he just cares more about Anthony Davis and to go sidetrack on this, this title that the Lakers have, you know, Hey, a title is a title and I'm going to respect that. They won four playoff series. They won 16 playoff games, but had it not been for the bubble and it had it not been for COVID that season was going down the toilet quick and they, they weren't, they weren't going to win that championship. And this era they've tried in, you know, with, with LeBron what is already in my eyes a failure but it would have been a huge disappointment going from there. And then, you know, going back to this team with Russell, this is who he is. This is who he was last year in Washington when he played in Houston and Oklahoma city after Kevin Durant left. It's all about him. Me, me, me. I need to get my stats. I'm going to throw up these ridiculous jump shots. Even if, even if I shoot three of 11 from the three in a game, I'm still going to chuck it up. And the same thing with Carmelo. What are they bringing Carmelo in? I mean, he's had a great career. You know, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the best scorers of our time. But him and Westbrook, they're the same person. They need the ball to get started. And you can't you can't have any consistent offense. And since they're all old veterans who just want to get their points, they don't play any defense. And the Lakers are the worst defensive team in the league. Yep. Well, and I'll defend Car- Carmelo here because when he was in Portland last year, it seemed like reports were is that he was this he was a great teammate. He bought into his role and he had good and it played really well and he kind of revitalized his career a little bit. And I, I think they the Lakers signed him thinking that was gonna happen and he's just not Carmelo doesn't take very good care of himself as far as playing shape and just been another thing that has hindered him. And I personally I think uh, we might, and we'll dive into the playoffs too at a later podcast, but right now I think it's going to be, I think it's a crash course for last year's finals. Uh, Bucks, Suns, uh, it was a great finals and wouldn't be shocked if we get another great one again. Uh, I, Chris Paul's got to be close to returning. Yes. Yeah, he's very close. And the other team that I'm really intrigued about that I think of all the teams in the East that can give Milwaukee trouble is um, the Miami Heat. I, I don't trust the Sixers in the playoffs. I don't no. trust Doc Rivers. I don't trust James Harden. I don't trust Embiid. And the Celtics, they're, they're, they were a great story this year. You know, new coach, Steven steps down. They're kind of coming together as a team. But come playoff time, they just don't have the horses. 
Uh, and I really, like I said, we'll get this at a later date, but I'm intrigued on what the Miami Heat can possibly do. Yeah, well, and it, right as, as it stands right now, if the playoff playing games go as chalk, they'd be getting the, the Nets. And Nets made that trade for uh, Ben Simmons, who hasn't played. He's played like two games, and he's nowhere to be found. So I don't – There, I mean, he was didn't play at all. He filed a grievance, which trying to get back $20 million, which it's pretty clear, well, if you're not going to play, we're not going to pay you. It's a wild you concept. A con- you signed a contract, Ben Simmons. You put your signature on a dotted line that said, I'm going to play 82 games for the Philadelphia 76ers. And I'm going to make, let's say, $36 million a year if I play these games. And I voluntarily stepped down and didn't want to play because I got my feelings hurt after I couldn't beat the Atlanta Hawks last year at home. He decided not to take a shot in game seven. Embiid put him on blast. Doc Rivers put him on blast. He got his feelings hurt and he wanted out. He wants his $20 million back because he doesn't care about winning. It's all about how much money he can have, Instagram, cars, and women. I'm so done with Ben Simmons. Just get him out of the league. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Grant tells it he's he's a former offensive lineman. He tells it like it is. That's why we're friends. So we will uh yeah, that's that's enough NBA talk for the week. Uh and well, let me finish go back to the Lakers a little bit. I don't know if you've been watching Winning Time. It's the story of the Lakers. I talked about it in an early podcast. It's uh John C. Riley is out there playing Jerry, Dr. Jerry Buss, and it, it, it just shows the, the, from the Lakers then to what the Lakers are now, it shows how great of an owner Jerry Buss was, the passion that man had for basketball. Like, he was a visionary. He didn't care about what it cost. He just he wanted to build a winning team, and he did it. Like, it was – like from the coaching to who he hired. And then it just shows like that guy was a staple. He was a function. He was a hands-on owner, but he was also hands off to where he let the basketball guys do basketball things. It was, it's a great show. I recommend anybody who's listening to watch it because it shows. And I used to be a guy too, that just hated on the eighties basketball about, just it, it was unbearable to watch there's some clips out there if you dig deep that it, it, it's hard to watch but those guys loved the game of basketball they weren't playing to get instagram followers or buying i mean it they they loved basketball for the game of basketball they there's a lot of these guys it seems like today they they like basketball for what it gives them they don't have a pure love for the game that's my biggest takeaway from I, so I I've rewatched the last dance and I've started rewatching the old 30 for 30 of the Lakers Celtics series in the eighties from watching the uh, winning time. And then I also just got the showtime book by Jeff Perlman that I'm going to start reading at some point too. But that that's kind of my biggest takeaway is the difference. And I understand because my dad loved when you, if you want a conversation with him, you just bring up eighties and nineties basketball with the bird magic, Jordan, just, and, and it, the, I understand the it pistons. because it's, yep. The piston, like, cause those guys loved basketball and they, they, <laughs> it shows in the way they play. And again, to circle back, that's, 
that's why I'm intrigued with the Miami Heat because that's an organization who does it the right way. They have guys who love the sport. Lowry, Jimmy Butler's a bit of a head case. We know that here in Minnesota, but you know what? He gets after it, and I like watching people who love what they do, and they love what they do. And Jimmy Butler loves the game of basketball. Like, that, don't get that twisted. Yes, he Correct. can be a head case, but he's in a good structure right now because the Wolves, I mean, you live in Minneapolis, so you know all about their dysfunction. The Sixers, there's a reason. I mean, anything that Jimmy Butler has said, it, it's been proven true after he's it's gone. True. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Spolstra's tremendous coach. They got Pat Riley in there. Like, it's – they have – uh, just a strong culture. Unanis Haslam, who's been there since before we were born, probably it feels like still mm-hmm. pl- doesn't play a lot, but I mean, he's basically a player coach and that you, we talk about culture all the time on this podcast and you can't talk about it enough because it shows true. The teams that win the titles usually are the ones that get along the most they have a strong culture they hold each other accountable and when someone's not living up to those standards they're get they've got leaders on that team player leaders that are going after them and getting them to that level they need to be exactly so we're gonna switch gears here we're gonna end the show here and uh we introduced this segment last week called curveball of the week and nobody knows what it is so grant take it away Mm-hmm. So I got I got two this week, um, okay. if that's all right. Yeah. Um, so the first one, we're going to kind of tie in with uh, the second topic of the night, the Masters. Um, it's a little little golf question here. So it's a two-parter. Okay. The first part is, what would you say is your dream course anywhere in the world? Where would you want to play? And then the second part to that, with who? If you, it's Ooh. you and three other people. At okay, your dream I got- course and your three, um, um, three idols, role models, celebrities, whatever you want to call it, who you want to play with. Okay, so I I've actually kind of like thought about this, just sitting at home doing nothing and thinking about things. This is almost a fairly easy question for me. It's Augusta National. I'm playing with my dad myself michael jordan Ooh, in the fourth tom brady done yep i i like that and i kind of knew right away that who two of them were going to be uh for i I knew you know jordan because behind your right shoulder we got you know the mj poster there and then also you know you are a tom brady stand account holder so we knew um you know, we knew he would be on there. Yep. Oh, there it is. Yep. Brady 10. Uh, go blue with that. We can't, we can't forget that in there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for me, um, you know, Augusta national was up there, but, um, since you already said that I'm going to, it's kind of, kind of a, a, a little curveball to my curveball. You know, I would think, you know, maybe Tory pines out there on the California ghost coast. I've but, been in the clubhouse there. Oh, very nice. You know, right off the ocean. And then, uh, you know, in Scotland where the game, you know, first started, that would be St. Andrews. That would be awesome. But I'm going to go a little different route here. Spring of 2021, um, when Brady, Rogers, 
Phil and Bryson DeChambeau played at that. I think it was called the Basin Course in Montana. Yep. Yep. Playing golf in big sky country. You know, you're in the mountains. You're at 10,000 feet. You got that wicked par five where it's 740 yards. But, you know, like I said, since you're at that 10,000 feet, um, you know, the ball is just going to soar. And, you know, you got grizzly bears to your left and to your right. <laughs> just the scenic aspect of that would be just absolutely um, just breathtaking. And I couldn't couldn't get enough of that. So I'm with you on uh, two of the people I want to play with. Okay. I want to play with MJ and I want to play with Brady just because I think they're the two greatest athletes or two of the five greatest athletes you've ever, ever seen. And just the competitive drive that each of them would have with the would sheer you will be, to win. Would you be talking smack to them while you're playing? Cause there's no, ab- I would absolutely do it in a heartbeat because not many people can say they talk, they talk shit to the goats of basketball and football. Um, so I would probably talk some shit to Brady, but Michael Jordan scares me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, MJ would just, he'd, he'd, he'd have an awesome driver, a great chip shot. And then he'd pull the Reggie Miller on me. Don't talk to black Jesus like that. And um, <laughs> that would put me in my place. But another person, it's, it's going to be an oddball here, but it hits close to home. You know, as you've mentioned, Dylan, multiple times, you know, one of the biggest Iowa Hawkeye fans out there. Uh, my favorite player of all time, Chad Greenway. Okay. I just, I want to, I want to go out with Chad, just kind of, you know, pick his brain on being from South Dakota, what Iowa meant to him. And then also saying just, you know, how much he meant to me um, throughout my, you know, career and just watching him play. So it would probably be Chad Greenway, Michael Jordan and Tom Brady, but for just the athletics, the competition standpoint of it, if we were, let's say having a friendly competition, two on two, Brady and Jordan are not on the same team. No, no, no. That would, yeah. Well, and, and, and it, if, if we're playing with Jordan, you know, you're playing for money. It might be a buck a hole. It might be 50 cents, but he's going to want to make sure, you know, that he has your money. He in has his pocket. my money. Correct. <laughs> So, well, uh, and I, that's one of the reasons I would be too, for the chance that I could say, it. I have some of Michael Jordan's money. Well, and then hopefully, cause I'd, I'd probably want to play with, I'd want to, I'd play with Tom and, and then just knowing that Tom and I are going to have probably the best steakhouse in Montana on Jordan um, that night for dinner would be pretty nice to tell your friends, Hey, Michael Jordan paid for my steak dinner this night. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that'd be kind of cool. And then second curveball of the week. Uh, you know, these last couple of days, it's been very spring-like, cold, cloudy, rainy, and snow. Not a whole lot to do. So what's a good thing to do on a day off like that? Maybe sit down and watch a movie. So what would you say is your, you know, top, we'll call it Sunday movie or a movie you like to watch if you're kind of having a rainy day inside and you don't got a whole lot going on? Ooh. Ooh, that is a, that, that is a tough one because... Mm-hmm. Man, it's well, because that that can be tied into to the hangover Sunday movie, too, where I'll partially fall asleep. So, ooh, I don't, I'm trying to think here because usually I go with the classics, I'll go with like probably my favorite movies, which Mm -hmm. Rocky Four, uh. The Godfather, Casino, one of those movies, 
maybe Rocky Four because it's not as long. Is a little bit more action. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godfather, that it's it's a great movie. It's a great film. It actually, turned fifty years old this year, yeah. and but it 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 just wears on. And sometimes when you know brain activity isn't fully there, you kind of doze off. But so yeah, I'd probably say Rocky Four. Okay. And yeah, for me. Probably my two, my two favorite movies of all time are actually, I think the top two movies rated on IMB or IMD, and it would either be Shawshank okay. or The Dark Knight. Oh, but yeah, that's another one too, yeah. For I, me, I think the, my favorite acting job someone's ever done in a movie besides, um, um, besides Denzel is, get, get that fucking clown out of here. <laughs> um is what Heath Ledger did as the Joker he 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 took that role and he made he he gave everything unfortunately he gave everything he had into it and it's just it's such a it's such a great movie with the storyline and the soundtrack and Christian Bale as Batman and just all the every other thing that's going on it keeps me on my edge you know when it was in theaters when I was in high school I saw it three times I probably watched it on Netflix once a month on a day off when I got nothing else going on. So for me, the best Sunday movie would be the dark Knight. Yeah, that's yeah. You can't go wrong with the dark Knight. That's that's all that, that could also be tied into if it's on one of those movies that you're going to sit down and watch. Yeah. Doesn't it's one of those what, where you stop, you stop everything you're doing and you watch it. Yeah. It ties into that Sunday, not doing anything. And you just scroll through the channels and mm-hmm. Oh, dark Knight. Okay. Yep. That's what I'm doing. Exactly. So, all right, that's all we have for this week. Uh, make sure you tune uh, tune in next week. Uh, we'll see who we get back on. Uh, haven't decided what the plan is. Probably talk some basketball, some MLB. So, Grant, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time. On thanks for having me, Dylan. And we're back. Good stuff as always. Thanks to Grant for joining me. Hopefully Ethan will be able to join us next time, recapping the Masters, previewing the upcoming MLB season, and whatever else we decide to talk about. Make sure you are following me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Degress. You can find The Degress podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. The video version of the podcast is available on YouTube under my name, Dylan Gress, or if you search The Degress podcast, make sure you're subscribing there as well. Please like, rate, and leave us a five-star review. It might get read on the podcast. That's all I got for this week. Gress, out!